do as we do. We don't understand sometimes the things that happen to us. We know that in everything you work for our good. We pray now, Lord, as we listen to your word, that you would anoint our hearts and our minds to hear. I pray, O oh God, that your word would go in and find good ground and bear much fruit, not for our glory, O oh God, but for yours. And Lord, for the one in the room that feels in this moment that you are so far from them, that you don't hear their prayer, that their brokenness is beyond your reach, for that one, O oh God, I pray right now by the power of the Spirit of God, you would meet them right where they are, that they would know the love of God and the peace of God that passes all understanding. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, friends. When axe heads float and shadows heal, do you believe in miracles? This morning I want to bring you on a journey that I've been on in terms of the miraculous, in terms of what we actually believe. My question is this, in terms of miracles and the miraculous, how closely does your image of God resemble the God of the Bible? How closely does your image of God resemble the God of the Bible? And this is the question I want you to ask yourself over and again as we go through. What I want to do today, and I love doing this, I've done this in, in courses from time to time, is take a quick glimpse of how God actually moves in the Bible and then try to line it up with how we picture them. So I'm going to tell you a number of miracle stories. And as we do, I want you to ask this question always. It's a question I always ask, because I don't know if you know this, but you have the author of the Scriptures living inside you. So when you're reading the Scriptures, you get to ask questions. And my favorite question is, why is that there? Sometimes when you come to a verse, you come to a story, you need to ask God this question. Why is that there? Of all the things you put in and all the things you left out, why do you leave that there? Why? So let's get started. Do you understand where we're going? We're going to look at miracles. I like doing this. This is great fun. We're going to start off with Abraham and Sarah. This is part of the Lord's provision for us. And they were told that at the age of 90 and 100, they were going to have a baby. This is an actual picture of Abraham <laughs> receiving that news. God could have chosen other couples who were in childbearing age, but he never. Interesting, and you should study this. I'm going to throw out a few tidbits for you this morning that I can't unpack due to time. But Sarah laughed and Abraham laughed. Sarah laughed at God. Abraham laughed with God. She was chastised. He was blessed. Abraham was like, this is the craziest thing I ever heard in my whole life. She 89. I'm a 99. 
You understand? Then, of course, you come to Exodus. God's leading his children out of bondage. He decides to march them right through the middle of the Red Sea. Not incidentally because there wasn't other ways to go. Google Maps could have provided alternative routes. (laughs) But no, God has them go right to the edge of the Red Sea and then go directly through it on purpose. Elisha is one of my favorite characters. Elisha is a little bit unhinged from time to time, as is Elijah. This is a great story in 2 Kings 6, where he makes an axe float, just because he can. You see, the place where they're living had gotten too small for Elisha and his company, so somebody said, let's go down by the, by the river and we'll cut some logs and we'll build us a new place to live. And as the man is cutting the log, the axe head falls off and falls into the river, and he cries out to Elisha, and he says, my Lord, the thing was borrowed. It wasn't even mine. And Elisha, of course, taking all this in stride, as the man of God does, cuts himself a stick and says, where's the axe head fall into the river? He shows him. He throws the stick in, and the steel iron head floats to the surface. And he says, reach in, pick it up. Because that's just how Elisha rolled, just like that. This is one of my favorite stories of Elisha, and I have about 15. But this is immediately after he's seen Elijah be taken to heaven, and he's wondering where the power is now, where the anointing is. Now, Elijah, as you may or may not know, had a habit of liking to cross rivers at the most direct point. The man never even went looking for a bridge. His habit was to take his cloak off, because again, Google Maps and Siri led him across the water, as it did for the children of Israel in the Exodus. And so his habit was to take his cloak off, hit the river with it, get the river to part, so he could walk straight across rather than have to detour around for a bridge. Elisha, wondering if he now has Elijah's anointing, does the same thing. He takes off the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, he strikes the waters with it and says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he struck the water, divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Just like you would. Just like that. You ever read this story? Where the dead raises the dead? Elijah is a freaky dude. Or Elisha. I'm telling you right now. So this is in 2 Kings 13. And Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite riders used to enter the country every spring, and once while the Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb, and they took off. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Because there's enough power left in the prophet's old dead bones to raise the dead. That's Elisha. He's an interesting fellow. And what you need to be doing right now is asking, why? Why are these stories there? And there's a lot of them. I'm only picking out a few. Then, of course, we have a story that you may be familiar with where the sun, or which was always called the sun stood still, miraculously the earth stops. Children of Israel are fighting a battle, and they need a little more daylight to get their business done. So God helps out. The sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. 
The sun stopped in the middle of the day and delayed going down about a full day. I don't know how this worked. If you lived on the equator at the time, but Joshua was standing there and he says to the Lord, we need a little more daylight. And so the Lord reaches down from heaven and goes, and stops the earth spinning. If you live on the equator, I imagine it would have been a rush. And the sun stays still in the sky for a full day. My friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you believe it? This is passed off without explanation as if it's just another day at the office. No big deal. You know how you all write no big deal when you post something on social media because it's actually a big deal and you want to pretend it's not a big deal? You know, just met Bono, no big deal. That type of business. This is what happens all the time in the Old Testament. God just stopped the earth. No big deal. But he does better than that because, see, Hezekiah gets sick, the king. And Isaiah comes to him and says, you've got to get your house in order because you're going to die. And Hezekiah pouts. He don't want to die. Naturally. So he says, okay, Isaiah says, the Lord is going to answer your prayer. You're going to get to live a little while longer. And Hezekiah, being a tremendous man of faith, he says, how am I going to know that's happening? And Isaiah says, well, maybe we can get the shadow to move. Shadows, as you may know, are caused by the setting of the sun. The same sun that God just had stand in the sky. Hezekiah, being a smart fellow, says to himself, well, it's a fairly simple thing to have the shadow keep going down the staircase like it does every single other day of the year since the history of time. If God really wants to do a cool trick, I'd like for the shadow to go back up the staircase. Isaiah says, I'll see what I can do. I'll talk to my people. In this case, listen, to answer the prayer of one man, to give confidence to another, God reaches in and stops the earth and gives it a little flick backwards. And this is passed off as just another day. This is what God does. Then we have Elijah, one of my favorites. Let me pull out just a few stories for you from 1 Kings. This all happens in three chapters. Remember what I'm trying to do here? I'm trying to give you a sense of how the God of the Bible operates through his people. Elijah shows up in 17.1 and he presents himself to the king Ahab and he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there's neither going to be nor dew nor rain in the next few years unless at my word. Now, if you're in biblical studies at all, and you ever wonder why we bother with all of this background information, this is a really good example of that. It's because the kingdom at that time had drifted off into the worship of the Baals. And the Baals were known to be the gods of fertility, storms, and rain. Without rain in a desert kingdom, you really starve to death. Elijah is literally walking up to the king and on the enemy's own turf saying, you might serve the God of rain, but I tell you what, till I say so in the name of the God of Israel, there be no rain. See what your God do about that. That's where that came from. There's the challenge right in the heart of the enemy's camp. 
Of course, God sends him from there then and sends him to a brook to drink. And he has ravens bring him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. He gets fed by crows. No big deal. I've always thought if you have bread and meat and bread and meat and bread, you have a Big Mac. Huh? <laughs> this is God at his best right here. And no, he never brought him salads. Hallelujah. The ravens did not bring kale, glory to God's name. No, they brought bread and meat as God has provided. Hallelujah. There's a lesson in there. Now you should know that he leaves that. He has to leave it because the brook dries up. 30 seconds of pastoral advice. Some of you are frustrated because where you've been right now, the brook has dried up and you think it's because you've drifted from the will of God. In actual fact, your brook has dried up because you are in the will of God and God is trying to move you from where you are. See, this brook never dried up because Elijah was in sin. Elijah dried his own brook up. Brooks don't flow when there's no rain. And some of you are in that place today. He goes then to the widow of Zarephath. And this is right in the heart of Baal country. Now he's right in the enemy's camp. And he goes to her and says what in any ordinary circumstance would get your pastor fired. She's there with her son and there's a famine in the land. She may or may not know this, but the fellow stood in front of her, caused the famine. And he says, what are you doing? She says, I got a little bit of flour. I got a little bit of oil. I'm going to bake a small cake for me and my little boy. And then we're going to die because we're starving to death. And Elijah, being the man of God, compassionate and courteous, says, give me your cake. <laughs> the next day, he was called into the board of elders meetings and fired. <laughs> and this woman had faith enough to give him the cake. And then according to the word of the Lord that Elijah spoke, her jar of flour and oil never again went dry. I'm not so excited about this being flour and oil, but I'm imagining it's a bucket of KFC and I'm thinking this is the coolest miracle in the history of the world. You order nine pieces, you eat three, you have nine. It'll be as big as I am. And then the little boy dies. And she says what so many in the world say. They say, obviously, God is judging me here for my sin. He's killed my son. But it's not that at all. And Elijah prays for the boy and brings him back to life. Then we move into 18. And here's one of the coolest stories that we so often overlook. Ahab now is a little bit upset because there's a famine right through his land. So he sends Obadiah to look for Elijah. And Obadiah finds Elijah. And Elijah says, I'm right here. Tell Ahab to come see me. And Obadiah has obviously heard about Elijah because he says, but now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah's here. But I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may pick you up and carry you when I leave. Because apparently, Elijah used to shuffle around a little bit by the Holy Spirit. And Obadiah says, if I go to Ahab and I say, Elijah's right here, I come back, the Holy Spirit might have picked you up and moved you, and he's going to kill me because I lied to him. It's just there in a verse. No big deal. Then, of course, Elijah assembles all the prophets of Baal, and he has a little party. And what I really love about this story is the way Elijah mocks them. 
because they're trying to call fire down from heaven. And Elijah says, maybe your God's on the phone. Maybe he's gone on a holiday. You all should read this. He mocks them. Maybe he's on the toilet. And he can't send fire right now. He's got cramps. (laughs) And then Elijah has his sacrifice doused with water because in the culture, sometimes they would hide a red coal in the middle of the sacrifice. And if they prayed long enough, a little bit of fire would happen. And they'd say, God answered by fire. But Elijah's God answered by fire enough that it licked up all of the wood, the stones, the soil, and the water. God's fire burns up rocks and water. And then 18 finishes with a little couple of verses that you might not have ever noticed, but it's the first Olympic marathon by this old prophet with his white bony legs. Rain is coming. And the power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way back to Jezreel to beat the storm. Ahab has the fastest horses and chariots in all of the land. But the power of the Lord comes upon Elijah. He doesn't need a ride. He races the king's horses right back to Jezreel. Just like that. No big deal. And you should be asking, why? And to make you all feel a little bit better about yourselves, 19.1 starts off with the fact that Jezebel threatens his life, that's Ahab's wife, and Elijah runs away, crawls under a tree, and prays to die. Because that's how human he is. I'm thinking, like, why not just bring Jezebel out, call fire down from heaven, poof, there she is, nothing. You just did it. But he's so human that despite everything you've just heard in two chapters, when she threatens his life, he prays and asks God to take his. That, to me, is very encouraging. And, of course, we come to the New Testament. I particularly appreciate this slide because they have Corinthians there twice, and this time they couldn't even spell it. (laughs) Now, we're going to start off talking about Jesus, who you remember is the visible image of the invisible God. And it turns out that God, through Jesus, does the same types of things he did in the Old Testament. Jesus' first miracle, turning the water into wine, full of symbolism, six stone jars, 20 to 30 gallons each. The Savior made 120 to 180 gallons of really good stuff for his first miracle. Then he walks on the water, like you would. If he had Instagram, he'd have been me and Peter out on the water, NBD. No big deal. There were other ways to accomplish that. There were other ways to affect that situation. But Jesus just decides to walk out. And not only does he, he looks at Peter and he says, if you got any faith and you want a cold party trick, jump out. Jump out. Because, see, friends, there's only so long you can get in the boat and stay there when God calls you out. He feeds the 5,000 from a little boy's lunch. 
And one of the coolest stories of Jesus of all that most people maybe pass over is when Jesus pays his taxes. Because the CRA, it's April, time to pay the tax. And the Pharisees are after him after his disciples saying, doesn't your teacher pay the tax? And so, you know, when Peter brings this up with him, Jesus says, you're right, we should be paying our tax. So I tell you what, go down to the lake, cast out your line. The first fish you find is going to have enough money in its mouth to pay for your taxes and mine. Because that's how the Savior pays his taxes. If it was today, he'd have to go down to the river and find a check for $17,000 in a fish's mouth. Because that's how he rolls. No big deal. We go fishing. The fish will spit up our taxes. Just pay it. Just like that. Remember, he told his disciples this. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have had leprosy. Drive out demons. Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And finally, Acts. God wants to show that the Holy Spirit has now come. The long-awaited Spirit is not just coming upon people. He's going to come live in people. And the way he decides to let everybody know that is to have everybody speak in a language they never learned. Because that's cool stuff. There was other ways. He could have sent signs down or pamphlets from heaven but he had them all speak in a language they never learned. Why? The very first church service begins with the accusation that everybody is drunk at nine in the morning. Why? Peter and John leave in Acts 3 and they look at a guy crippled and they're able to say to him, I don't have the money you're looking for. I don't have what you want, but I got what you need. And the key point of this passage is the order. Peter and John look at him, and the Bible says they take him by the hand and help him up. And then the man's ankles were strengthened after their faith. Just another day at the office. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by for healing. We see through acts, dreams, visions, visitations. Saul has a vision on the road to Damascus. Peter's shown the Gentiles are included in the gospel. Peter's released from prison by an angel. They're called into Macedonia through a vision. God tells Paul in a dream to preach boldly in Corinth and not to be afraid. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left. You see poor Paul now, everybody coming along and rubbing their handkerchief on him. Just like you do with a balloon when you're trying to get static electricity. Poor Paul being rubbed all day. So I ask you this question again. Do you believe in miracles? Because, friends, my sense, and I know it from my own life, is that I read these stories and I believe the Bible is true, but it seems absolutely crazy 
to think any of that could happen today. So my question from the beginning is, how close does my image of God match the God of the Bible? Because God of the Bible moved shadows back up staircases just to prove his point. The God of the Bible paid his taxes through a fish. What kind of God do you serve today? What kind of God do I serve There's all kinds of answers and reasons for why we are where we are. It's a mix of modernism and the age of reason and the enlightenment and the scientific revolution and humanism, all of which has conspired to convince the church that God is actually fairly reasonable and rational and sensible, calm, cool, and collected, does things that make sense to us all the time. And that's lovely except the biblical record very often doesn't bear that out. Because I think it's inescapable that if you met the God that's portrayed in the Old Testament or you met the Jesus that wandered around in the four Gospels or you got yourself involved with the early church, they would do things that freaked you out all the time. So what happened to us? Well, here's the good news. The good news is that in your generation, we've seen a shift in thinking in our culture. And some people call it postmodernism. Some people have other names for it. But it's showing up in two main areas. One is that there is no absolute truth anymore. This goes right back to Nietzsche. Everything is relative now. And so that makes it hard for us to witness to a gospel that we believe is based on absolute truth. But... Culture is also very open now to experience and to finding truth through experience. And this is where the miraculous comes in for the church. Today, we have a culture crying out for a real connection to God through the supernatural. Bibian Pastorsky says, young people don't have God grudges on their shoulders. They're not anti-religious. They are predisposed to the supernatural. This is a generation whose current involvement in religion is appreciable. In light of their widespread interest in meaning and mystery, the supernatural and the spiritual, religious groups who have something to bring need to bring it and stop complaining about the apathy of youth. We have a tremendous opportunity here. One young lady says, all I want is reality. Show me God. Tell me what he's really like. I want the real thing. And so friends, to a generation that now has rejected our absolute truth, you need to know they are crying out for the miraculous. They are crying out for the kind of God that we see naturally painted right through Scripture, no big deal. Paul summed this up really well when he said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. My message wasn't just wisdom and knowledge, it had a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith could rest squarely on God.
Now, that's the challenge to me. That's the challenge to you. And so I ask you again to ask yourself, do I really believe in miracles? Stand with me. Father God, I pray you'll see the, seal this word in our hearts. I pray it finds good ground and bears much fruit for your kingdom and your glory. Challenge us, O oh Lord. Give us courage and boldness. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I bless you in your coming out and in your going in and your rising up and your lying down and your work and your play and your rest and in your leisure and your studying and in your fun. And I pray that you would know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings and also the power of his resurrection. Amen. Go with God.